James chapter 5. As always, we like to remind you that we have children's ministry um, up to second grade. They have already darted out the door, and uh, if you are in that age group, um, not act like you're in that age group, actually in that age group, then you are welcome to join them. We have a very short passage to read, and no, I'm not trying to milk James for all it is worth. Um, I just wanted to address one single verse by itself, because I believe that the, the application and the implications of this one verse is something that we need to consider by itself. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 5, and we're going to be looking only at verse 12 today. So as we all stand in honor, if you're wondering why everybody's standing up, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Um, We encourage you to do that if you are able. We are going to be reading just James chapter 5, verse 12. And the Word of God says this, it says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Please be seated. Have you ever noticed how, and the reason why I wanted to just address this one verse by itself is, is I have noticed that, that we have a problem, and a lot of people have a problem with just simply saying yes or no. To just say yes or to just say no. And and even as I was preparing for this message, I got a text message from my dad. And, And my dad asked me if I wanted some, some magazines that he had been saving. He, my dad, he gets a couple of subscriptions, and, and I'll give you the whole story, not that you asked for it, um, but my dad has a subscription to the Missouri Conservationist. And, and in those magazines, there's all sorts of information about hunting and fishing and conservation and wildlife in, in the state of Missouri, and, and as long as I can remember, those magazines have been in our house. When I was a kid, even now, and, and you could read through them, sometimes you get recipes in them and, and all sorts of stuff and, and just all this stuff about, about wildlife in Missouri. And my dad texted me and he said, hey, I have got all of these magazines and I've been saving them and I wanted to know if you and maybe Joseph wanted them. Now, I don't know if anyone else here has ever lived with three children in your house. I don't want to add anything else to my house. Amen, Philip? Amen. I don't want any other things to my house. And so my initial reaction was no. Because the last thing I need is who knows how many years worth of magazines in my house. Now, I love those magazines. I grew up on those and I love my dad. And I appreciate him keeping those and thinking of, of me and, and, and Joseph and, and wanting to have those. But the answer that I wanted to say was no. But did I say no? No! I went, oh yeah, I, those magazines are cool, but oh, you know, you don't have to save those for me. It's okay. Cause I'm a big chicken. And I get a text responding back from my dad and in my dad's own subtle way that my children will probably recognize in their father where he said, do, period, you, period, want, period, them, question mark. And you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I had to say, no, 
I appreciate it, but I just don't want more stuff in my house. And we do that all the time, don't we? Can you relate to that? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Thank you. Yeah, we do that all the time. Dave Markham's going, you've done that to me, Pastor. <laughs> well, there's all of these other things that we say in, in order to not kind of say either yes or no. I, the one I hear most often is, I'll try. You ever have anybody say that? Hey, hey, can you, can you, my favorite is like, hey, can you, I've got a, a, some furniture I need moved um, into my basement and, and I need some help. Would you come help me on Saturday? Well, I'll try. What is that? We might, let's know, yeah. <laughs> we might say things like, thank you, Randy. Uh, we might say things like, well, let me get back to you on that. Moms, you know what you say. We'll see. How many moms have said, we'll see? I love it on the day, my wife's raising her hand. I love it on the day that a kid figures out what we'll see really means. We're driving in the car one day and my son said, hey, mom, can we go to Target and look at the toys? Who knows what? And Liz in the, in the passenger seat I'm driving goes, we'll see. And from the back, I hear my, my probably three-year-old son go, oh, that means No. Husbands, that's it right there. Let me ask my wife. That also probably means no, and they just don't want to tell you, so they're going to blame their wife. We also hear, well, if I can get everything done, a lot of Saturday adventures begin with, well, if I get everything done, I'll come by. Or if I can, if everything works out and I don't get into any, don't get into anything, I'll be there. Even things like, I, 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 I'm, even, there are a few others we could probably think of, maybe even some to the positive where we, we want to say yes, but, but we don't really want to admit that we say yes. Not only that, but there are, are, are these people that we know that even, even if they give us a yes or a no, we also just kind of know it doesn't mean anything. We all probably know at least one person, and if you don't know one person, you probably are that person, who even when you say yes, yes, I'll be there, or when you have that person that says, yes, I'll be there, or no, I won't do that, that you know that, that when the, the, the chips are down, and when they actually have to do what they said they're going to do, or not do what they said they're not going to do, you have no idea. Are you going to come help me? Yes, I'll be there. And then suddenly they go radio silent and they don't respond to your text and they don't answer your phone calls. And then about 72 hours later, they go, hey, what's up? And they've just been dis and they've just disappeared for days. Or they promise you that they were not going to do something. I promise you, I won't do this. I, you have my word. I will not do this. And then later they come back to you hat in hand, apologizing for doing the very thing that they told you they weren't going to do. And there are tons of reasons why people do this. Some people, and I think this is a big one in today's age, is some people just hate confrontation. They don't want to let people down and they don't want to hurt people's feelings. So instead of telling them yes or telling them no, they give some sort of middle-of-the-road, wishy-washy answer so that they can avoid the confrontation in the moment. Others, synonymous with my generation, is called FOMO, fear of missing out. And so we hate to commit to things because we're afraid uh, that we might miss something. This is translated into the, the younger generation as a thing called phobo, which is fear of better options. 
They don't want to commit to something because they're afraid that if a better option comes along and they've already committed to the first one, that they will miss out the same thing uh, on that better option. Regardless of the reasons why, whether it's a concern about a person's feelings or a a, a hating confrontation or fear of missing out or a better option, the Bible is clear that our words and the way we use our words matter. It affects our walk and it affects our witness. And so we need to look at this little statement by James and begin to see the spiritual impact of what it is saying and take seriously what it is commanding us to do. Our passage begins with these words. It says, do not swear. Now, this is not about bad words. Now, I can point you to plenty of passages that say you shouldn't use bad words, but that's really not what this is talking about. It's talking about making promises. If we look again at the text, it says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear, and then talks about the heaven or the earth or any kind of oath. Now, we have said throughout the the book of James that that James, who is Jesus' brother, seems to be constantly pulling directly from the teachings of Jesus that we can find in the Gospels. He is giving the church, as it is kind of scattered out, the things that Jesus has said and the lessons that Jesus has taught in a way so that they can apply it to their current context. In this case, we can go to a couple of verses, but I want to start in Matthew 23. And in Matthew 23, starting in verse 16, we see this. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold on the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, what is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by he who sits upon it. See, Jesus, or James, when he writes about this, don't swear or make oaths by heaven or earth, he goes into what Jesus taught about making these oaths by the gold of the altar or the altar or the temple or the gold in the temple or the sacrifice on it or all those things. And what we see here is that the Pharisees had been looking for loopholes. See, when they said this, they were like, well, if you swear by this, that's not really anything. You, if you said that and you sweared by it, but you didn't, you can't follow through with what you said, that's no big deal. But if you did this, if you sweared by the, by the sacrifice on the altar, well, then you better do it. And so they, they created all these little nuances and these loopholes in order to get away with things that they didn't want to do. What this actually is, is an abuse of of another part of Scripture that I'm not going to open up to, but you can look for yourself, which is found in Numbers chapter 30. Now, in Numbers chapter 30, there's a lot of talk about oaths. And when you make a promise, and specifically when you make a promise to God, and say, God, I'm going to do this for you, a lot of times in the way of of an offering, like a free will offering or something like that, there were some reasons that someone could step in and say, you don't have to commit to that oath. You don't have to follow through with that. A lot of it had to do with, with people who made it, but they were, they were children or they were a, a wife or something like that. And the husband could kind of step in and say, can say, Hey, no, we're not going to do that. 
And, and there were these loopholes. And so the Pharisees had really taken that idea and really run with it and said, and we're going to make all these other loopholes to, to the, the oaths that we make and all that type of stuff so that there are all these ways that you can get out of them. Jesus is condemning this and calling them, saying, woe to them, they were blind guides and they were teaching people wrongly and leaving them astray. And, and for James to then take this teaching and go to the church and say, above all these things, don't swear by heaven or below, implies that there was probably some lack of integrity present within the church. They were doing the things that the Pharisees had been guilty of also. They'd been making promises. They'd been making swear, swearing. They had have not been integ- integral in, in their words and in their speech to the point that they had to even say things like that. You ever meet someone that is kind of known for not telling the truth? What's the first thing they always do when they, they're trying to convince you they're telling the truth? I swear. Raise my right hand. Sorry, I'm a lefty. I, I swear. Scout's honor. That's like telling you they're lying, right? When they do that. Have you ever had a kid do that? Did you do that? I swear I did it. No, you didn't. We do, I mean, that's, that's the reality. And he's saying, listen, the very fact that you're making these swears against heaven, you're, you're making an oath for heaven or earth, or you're doing that show, shows that there is a lack of integrity within the body of Christ, and that should not be. We should not be, as the people of God, unreliable in our, with, among our families or our friends or our jobs. If we are to the point where we have such a lack of integrity in our everyday life that we have to look to people and go, swear to God, then we have a problem. And this is why James is speaking into them and saying, above all else, you need to be people of integrity. You need to be people of such integrity that when people, when you say you're going to do something, or even when you say you're not going to do something, that people believe you and trust you and that's all they need. We need to not be looking for the loophole to get out of things. We need to not be using phrases like, I'll try in order to to justify us being uncommitted. But we need to simply say what we mean, not looking for loopholes, not being wishy-washy. We cannot let our reputation and the reputation of God suffer because we do not want to follow through with our own words. Rather, this is the second point if you're taking notes, let your words speak for themselves. James goes on, I want to read it again. He says, above all, brethren, do not swear by heaven or by earth or with any other kind of oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. Again, we see this. This is literally a line directly from the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5 within the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, again, you have heard from the anci- that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for, the, for it is the, great king, the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Jesus is actually quoting a passage himself when he quotes Leviticus 19.12. 
But he goes on, as he often does in passages like this, to say that anything beyond a simple yes or no is a beginning of a slip into a sinful practice that should not be counted among the brethren. Deuteronomy 23 actually communicates this very well when he says, When you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, then it will not be sin to you. You should be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. Simply put, be careful what you say. And if you say it, then you need to do it and do it in a timely manner. If you know you will not do it, then just say no. That's something that I think really more than anything, we as, as the church, and as the body of Christ, we need to become a little bit more comfortable just saying no. And just saying like, hey, can you do this? You know, no, I'm not interested. No, I, I don't want to do that. Even if you just say, I am, no, I am really busy right now and I don't want to take another thing on my plate. That is perfectly acceptable. But to say, well, we'll see. Let me check. I'll try. That is when we begin to slip down into a place where our word means nothing and our integrity is in question. It's for this very reason why the passage says, so that you may not fall into judgment. I don't think we always realize the effect we have on others when we do not keep our word or when we do not follow through or even when we lie to the people around us and even lie to ourselves. Sometimes we forget that our words really do matter. But I want you to think about this for a second. When you fail to follow through with something that you said you were going to do, what does that communicate to the person? Or even turn it around. If you take for a moment and you have someone in your life, and you probably do, who they do not follow through with what they say. They may say they're going to do something, but you kind of always know that they're going to back out at the last second or they're just not going to do it or whatever it might be. And and you think about and then they do it maybe again or maybe it's not someone that normally does it. And they say, I'll be there. I'll be there for you. I'll help out. And then they just don't. What do you think? How does that make you feel? A lot of times we're going to immediately think that we're just not very important to them. It becomes exceedingly frustrating when not only do they just like leave us standing, do they stand us up or whatever it is, but then we come to find out that they did it for no reason at all. We feel hurt because we realize that 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 tells us we're not very important to them. Or at the very least, what is important to them or what is important to you is not important to them and that they matter more than you. And since it's not a big deal to them, then, then it doesn't really matter if it's a big deal to you or not. You realize that they are more focused on themselves than they are on other people. Maybe you've come to realize that, that, that you cannot, that they can't be trusted. And and really ultimately to that point that you're always going to have to have a backup plan when they're involved. 
Well, I asked so-and-so to come and and to help me with this, but you know how they are, so I've asked so-and-so and and -and so-and-so too. Now, would you want someone thinking that way about you? Would you want someone to think, well, Josh doesn't really care about me. And even though Josh cares a lot about his stuff, he makes it very, he's making it very clear that he didn't really care about the things that matter to me. And I can't really trust him and I can't really count on him. And I know that if I ask the pastor to help me with something, that I'm going to have to probably ask a couple of deacons or, or my friend because they'll be the ones that actually show up. I don't think you'd want anybody to say that about you, would you? Well, let's up the ante just a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Which means that we are showing the world who Jesus is by our actions. Would you want people thinking, I must not be very important to Jesus. You know, the things that are important to me, I don't think Jesus cares about these things at all. You know, I think Jesus is really more focused on himself than he is on me or on anyone else. You know, Jesus, I'm not really sure I can trust him. I'm not sure if he's really someone I can rely upon. Yeah, I've asked Jesus to help, but I better have a backup plan because I'm just not sure he's going to come through in the end. I don't think we want people thinking that, do we? I don't think we want people to look at our Lord and Savior and come to those conclusions. See, when we do not keep our word, we are sinning against God. We are misrepresenting the Savior to the world. And there will be judgment. Solomon also spoke of these things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we read this. He says, Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. It really is amazing how a simple sentence can, that gives us a simple command can still be quite daunting. I said a couple of weeks ago that just because something is simple does not mean that it is easy, and certainly this seems to be the case today. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I should have took a drink sooner. <coughs> James presents us with an extremely high standard. And it is passages like this that are intended to humble us and to remind us just how much we need grace. My hope is that at the very least, as we have gone through this passage and really thought through what it says today, that you have not just immediately applied these to the people around you. You may have, and that may be all right. 
but that at least to some degree you are looking at yourself and how you use your words and how you might on occasion be wishy-washy or, or false or, or say one thing, but then ultimately do another. See, passages like, passages like this are intended to convict us and to remind us that, that really all of us are not doing everything right all the time. I think a passage like this makes hypocrites of us all. Because we recognize that we want to be like this and we, we have a desire to be like this, but when it really comes down to it, we are not. But I don't want you leaving today feeling bad because this passage exists. That's not our, our goal, believe it or not, at church, is we don't get into the Word of God together so that you will feel horrible. Rather, the point of this passage and passages like it is to point us to our need for grace. To remind us that we are all sinners. That we need God's grace to deliver us from sin. And that through His forgiveness, we might begin to recover and pursue the things of God and the things that He has in store for us. Can we put up the three circles, please? See, when we look at a passage like this, we are reminded of what God's design is. God's design in, 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 the, in, the, in the subject matter that we've just read is God's design is that we are people of truth. That our yeses are yes and our noes are noes and that people know that, that we are going to tell the truth 100% of the time, Right? And the idea is, is that if we can do that, we'll be in great shape. But here's the deal. I guarantee every single person in this room does not do what this passage is even commanding us to do. And that includes me. And God calls our yes to be yes and our no to be no. But then there are those times that we say yes and the reality is, is we're going to do no. Or we say no and the reality is we're going to do yes. Or we go somewhere in between and, and try to work out the wiggle room. And when we do that, we depart from God's design, and that's called sin. See, a passage like this one reminds us that we are all sinners. Every single one of us. That there's a standard that God has set for us and that we have not met that standard. And a lot of times it's because of our own choices. I will totally confess, there have been times where I have told people, not recently, but I don't you guys think too poorly of me. Um, but there have been times in my life where I have said something to somebody. I have said yes. And I knew even when I said it that I wasn't going to follow through. And when I did that, not only did I sin against that person, but I sinned against God. And that takes you to a place, and that place is called brokenness. And let me tell you how I know brokenness is a real thing. Think about a time that you, you let someone down. Maybe you told someone that you were going to show up, that you were going to be there, and you didn't show up, and you weren't there. Did you feel rotten about it? Did you kind of hide because you didn't want them to figure out that you were li- that you had lied to them, that you weren't going to follow through with what you said, and so you kind of lied low, and you you kind of hoped and waited that eventually it would blow over, and they'd forget about it, and then you could move on with your life. Did you feel rotten? That's brokenness. And we've everyone in this room has felt this at some point. 
that feeling that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we are not being who we're supposed to be, that we're not living the way we're supposed to live. And see, and we try to do a lot of things to cover up that brokenness. Like you think, take, for example, that, that saying you're going to do something and not doing it. How do we cover the brokenness there? We hide. We hide and we hope that, that it just kind of smooths over on its own and we can just reemerge. So we delay it. We hide from it. We try to cover it up with other good deeds or, or a gift or, or, or we try to numb it using drugs and alcohol or television or who knows what else. But we know that it doesn't change the fact that we're broken. Because we can't fix brokenness from brokenness. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to save us from that brokenness, and that's the gospel. And even in a passage like this, we have to be reminded that behind all of this is the good news of the gospel, that God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son. And you know, we have a hard time with our yeses being yeses and our noes being noes, but Jesus did not. And he said things the way he was supposed to say them, and he made his yeses yes and his noes no. In fact, Jesus lived a sinlessly perfect life, not to show us we could do it, but to do it on our behalf. And Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could die on the cross for your sins and for mine. So that he would take the punishment of our sin and that we could receive his righteousness freely. And the Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be saved. In fact, we say that if you repent and believe on the, in the gospel, that you will be saved. Repenting means to turn away from sin and to, turn towards Jesus. And believing means believing that Jesus is everything he said he is. Romans 10.9 says it this way, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, believing that everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true. And if we do that, then we can start to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And this is the part where our speech can begin to be recovered and begin to be the way that God meant it to be so that our yeses are yes and our noes are noes and we can put away the need to say, I swear. And we can place our faith wholly in Jesus. My question for you today is as we look at a passage like this and, and maybe you've been convicted by it today and you're like, ooh, I struggle with that. Well, I've got good news for you. Number one, you're not alone. I don't think there's a person in this room, if we are really honest with ourselves, that, that, that gets James 5.12 down 100% of the time every time. You're not alone. But the other good news is, is you struggle with it. Maybe you've not done it. But that's the very reason why Christ came. And he came to pay the price for our sin so that we might have eternal life through him. So if you're looking at this picture and you're saying, oh yeah, that's, I, I'm in that broken state right there. I'm right there smack dab in that circle. Because, and this verse really points that. We're asking you the question today, what keeps you from making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? What keeps you from, from confessing Jesus as Lord, believing all that He says is true, and giving your life to Jesus? And if the answer is nothing, then we want to invite you to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today. And we're going to close out our service with a song, and I'm going to stand right here, and I would love to have a conversation with you 
about what it means to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. But rest assured, you don't have to come up front and talk to me. There are people all over this room that would love to share with you the good news of the gospel. All you have to do is turn to one of them and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this Jesus? And they'll talk to you. They'll get me. I'll come come help. But don't leave today thinking that you really do have to get everything right to be good with God. Because you can't and you won't. Instead, recognize that a pass, from a passage like this that, hey, I don't have everything right. And so I need a Savior. And I believe that Savior is Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we do thank you for your word. God, we praise you for passages like this. God, we look at a passage like this and, and we stand in awe of just the high standard that exists there. And so, Father God, we just want to take a moment, Lord, and we praise you that you are holy and that you are righteous. And Lord, we praise you that your yes is always yes and your no is always no. But God, we recognize that we can't live up to that standard, that we haven't, that we can't. And Lord, that we need grace. And Lord, we praise you that you provided a way that we might receive that grace and that mercy through Christ Jesus. And God, if there is anyone in this room Lord, who does not know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today is the day that they talk to somebody, that they walk the aisle and they say, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And Lord, that, that through that, Lord, that you would redeem them of their, their, the, of their sin, Lord, that you would give them new life in Christ, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that you would set them on the course of recovering and pursuing your design for their life. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would be convicted by this. And Lord, that we would be reminded of the high standard that you said and that, that our witness is at stake when, because of the words of our mouth. And Lord, that we would seek to be as faithful as we can be this side of glory. And Lord, that you would show us grace along the way as we grow. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.